It's a real challenge to keep hope, but at the end of the day, I, I actually think hope is our best motivator. When you think climate change and the causes of global warming, what comes to mind? Jet airplanes, cars, food production, the fashion industry, shipping. What about buildings? That's right. The building sector is responsible for almost half of global resources used, and it produces up to 40% of global CO2 emissions and solid waste. But that's starting to change. Fast. Being circular, being more sustainable, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll end up spending more money. Companies left, right and centre are committing to net zero carbon. Many of those leaders are setting out short-term plans to really start to tackle this issue. I think the, the mindset is shifting. Ramble is a world-leading architecture, engineering and construction consultancy founded in Denmark in 1945. We design approximately 10 million metres squared of buildings every year. Our ambition is to become a global leader within four cross-company unifying themes. Decarbonise for net zero. Resilient societies and livability. Resource management and circular economy. And biodiversity and ecosystems. These themes unite over 16,000 employees in our business strategy, the partner for sustainable change. In this podcast series, we investigate how these themes apply to the global construction industry. How can we plan, design and build using more sustainable practices? Ramble is partnering with the World Green Building Council, a non-profit organisation working to provide a sustainable development framework for the construction industry. In 2019, the World Green Building Council, also known as the WGBC, published an advocacy manifesto identifying eight priority areas for the global construction industry to address in order to transition to a more sustainable built environment in today's episode, we dive into the first of these priority areas, reducing carbon emissions. So according to the Paris Agreement, we have to limit the global warming to 1.5 degrees by 2030. And that's a huge challenge for us. If we don't meet that goal, it will have devastating consequences. Reka Bjergård is the Global Sustainability Director for Ramble Buildings. Here's her take on reducing carbon emissions. With the current practices in the global construction industry, we are not even close to meet that goal. So we need to apply a disruptive approach and we only have eight years to do that. According to science, there is a limited carbon budget that all countries have to share. So this budget has to be shared between the developed countries and the countries in the Global South. And it has to be shared between the construction industry and other industries such as food production, transportation, and so on. So there are many political and ethical dilemmas to consider. No matter how we divide the cake, the construction industry must reduce emissions. And we take that very seriously at Rumble. So we've set a target to reduce the emissions from the buildings we design with 50% by 2030. And we're now in the process of executing on that strategy. In future episodes, we're going to explore the so-called circular economy and find out whether a building can make us healthier and happier. But in this episode, we're going to go right back to basics 
and look at the way we build and what we build with. I'm Emma Clark, and you're listening to Building Sustainable Change, an original podcast from Rumble on what you need to know about sustainability in the built environment. When I was a student, I took a module at university on sustainability. This is Stephen Richardson from the World Green Building Council, a global network of more than 70 independent non-profit organisations that help accelerate the uptake of sustainable buildings. Buildings are, you know, they're at the heart of everything that we do. We spend 90% of our time in them. They shape our lives in a, in a way that I think most of us don't really recognise. And so that again, that opportunity to play that role in, in kind of shaping how the fabric of society works and making that you know better, more sustainable, more uh, regenerative uh, was just a really inspiring opportunity. As the director of the World Green Building Council's Europe Network, Stephen coordinates a group of 23 national green building councils and eight regional partners. And his role is to help the members to collaborate to achieve their mission which is to put a sustainable built environment at the heart of Europe's future. We're also joined by another sustainability expert for buildings, James Drinkwater from the Loudest Foundation. I head up the built environment team at the Loudest Foundation. We're a private philanthropic foundation dealing with the dual crisis of climate and inequality. And we are really trying to challenge and inspire industries to really walk the talk and figure out how to decarbonise. And, and the built environment is one of our focus industries. Loudest Foundation's goal is to challenge and inspire industry to harness its power for good. We asked James to tell us what motivated him to transition into this line of work. I'd always had this personal obsession with buildings. And when I discovered they represent 40% of all carbon dioxide emissions, nearly. It blew my mind. How can the industry tackle such a global climate issue? Let's start with the ABCs. I think it starts with the impact. Most people in the sector now are very aware of this, but I think uh, outside of the sector, there's a lot of misunderstanding of where the biggest impacts are in terms of climate change. People often think automatically about flying, but actually flying is only responsible for 2 or 3% of global emissions at the moment. Whereas the building sector, the built environment sector is, is responsible for some 40% of global emissions. So understanding that the vast impact that the construction sector has is uh, the starting point. So buildings are responsible for close to a staggering 40% of global carbon emissions. And that's divided into operational and embodied carbon emissions. We asked Maria Vukia from Ramble UK to explain what operational and embodied carbon emissions are. Operational carbon is the emissions associated with the operation of a building during the life cycle. So it includes energy consumption and water consumption as well uh, during the building life cycle. Embodied carbon captures emissions associated with the materials. So captures emissions during the construction phase of a building and also all emissions associated with repair, replacement and maintenance of building components during the building's life cycle. It also includes emissions associated with demolition and the construction, as well as waste processing at the end of life of a building. You know, if we look at the fuel crisis, 
some decades ago that sparked a real focus on the need for energy efficiency. That's a little bit where this debate has come from. And today, across Europe, across many parts of the world, we have a real focus in the sector on energy use in buildings. And that's that's right. And I think this is an area where, again, engineering firms like Ramble have really come to the forefront in saying we need to catch up on where we're at with the energy debate and really be talking about tackling these upfront embodied carbon emissions as well. So we're tackling the total climate impact of the sector. To put it simply, embodied carbon is all the CO2 emissions typically released during the planning, construction and removal phases of a project. And operational carbon refers to the carbon released to keep a building running. Things are changing and there is hope for the future. We'll get to that in a minute. But why is it that buildings are such a big contributor to climate change? We didn't design Europe's many homes and offices to be energy efficient. That wasn't the key design principle some decades ago. And then we started to bring in legislation that started to require the sector to design in more energy efficient ways. But we have a huge number of leaky homes, of leaky offices, of you know retail buildings and others. And it's one of the greatest infrastructure challenges of our time now to renovate these huge numbers of homes that don't perform in the way we need them to, to comply with our climate targets in terms of their energy use. And again, you know, our construction processes, the way we design buildings and all the materials we use for them, again, we weren't trying to optimise all of this from a climate perspective. We were trying to build beautiful and functional buildings. And we've realised now we need to really constrain our use of resources, really think about what an appropriate way to build is and increasingly embrace the circular economy. So using our precious resources in increasingly circular ways, doing more with less to get our built environment, do what it needs to do for people, provide shelter and space. With such a big impact on climate change, you would almost think the concept of sustainability was totally disregarded in the old days. But actually, Stephen doesn't agree completely. I think sustainability has been at the heart of the sector historically, because if you, you go to any European capital city, you will see buildings there that have been around for you know hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years. And that longevity is part of sustainability. Um, many buildings have been around for a long time and, and that does make them, in one sense, sustainable, at least by the best knowledge of the time. But I think, again, thinking about Europe, there was a lot of destruction during the war and a rush to rebuild. And I think some of the sort of standards were set aside for speed and, and haste. And I think in that process, we lost some of our understanding of what it means to build quality buildings but also we've also learned that actually using fossil fuels is destroying the planet and so that was something that wasn't on people's minds a hundred years ago when they were building buildings you just look at your house you look at out of the window of your room all you see is concrete every kilogram of cement is associated with one kilogram of co2 emission so you can imagine these oceans of concrete and steels everywhere this was Ali Amiri, Head of Sustainability at Ramble Middle East. We'll hear more from him in a minute. I think we've learned a lot over the last sort of 10, 20, 30 years around about the impact that the sector has. And so, you know, now is absolutely the time to put 
sustainability and low carbon design, but also circularity. So that longevity and the way buildings and, and building materials can be kept in use over long periods of time is something that absolutely needs to be put back at the heart of our practice as built environment professionals. Stephen Richardson mentioned circularity, and to hear more about that, we went to Dubai to talk to Ali Amiri at Ramble. And he tells us that circularity, basically, is a new way of thinking. Yes, yeah, so circularity is changing the traditional way of taking resources and making materials out of them, utilise them, and then dump them in the landfill. Try to close that loop into a model that we consider the material at the end of its life as a new resource for a new purpose. From construction perspective, that's primarily what we try to do to minimize waste generation out of our project and then have a plan for the waste when it comes and consider that waste as a resource. So in other words, a great tool to reduce the embodied carbon emission. Yes, it will help a lot with embodied carbon because then we are reducing, if not eliminating, the need for excessive virgin materials to be added to the stream to make new products where we try to rely on materials and recycled and reused materials from other projects. Therefore, we are avoiding embodied carbon or upfront carbon for a new project. This can be a way to reduce the embodied carbon emission in your project to 30% of upcycled materials. As head of sustainability at Ramble Middle East, Dr Ali Amiri has been working to further the sustainability agenda for many years now. He's known in the industry for his contribution to Ramble's goal of creating sustainable societies where people and nature flourish through many and varied projects for over a decade. And he specialises in sustainability appraisal methods, carbon accounting and climate change, as well as sustainability strategy and policy. In Dubai, of course, it's, uh, it's been developing rapidly for the past few decades. And um, quite a few of these buildings are reaching mid or end of their lives. And uh, with the recent events such as pandemic and understanding of the need to be flexible with the land use of the buildings... You're getting more and more queries either about how to repurpose some of the built assets and also what can be done with many of these buildings. And um, fortunately, we see the trend that kind of demolishing and dumping the waste is not the first thing that the clients prefer here. They do want us to look into options for them that how they can minimize that and kind of take advantage of looking at things differently and repurposing these buildings if they need a strengthening, if they need some adjustments. And they're learning that for the new buildings, we should be mindful of the fact that what do we want to do with the building when it reaches its end of life or something comes up and we want to change the land use of that building. So we're getting more and more requests on uh, providing a flexible design. We're meeting Ali Amiri in Ramble's office in Dubai, and here in a city that builds more than most cities around the world, they're also working on interesting projects where they've used the principle of circularity. 
Yes, uh, it's one of again one of the major developers here, and they had this um, plan to come up with their uh, headquarter office, uh, and they wanted it to be grand and cool and very smart and all that. And of course, obvious choice to everyone is an empty plot of land, and then what can be done. But also, there was this other building that they have, which is kind of um, since pandemic not being used while it's a kind of entertainment type building. And uh, we did a feasibility for the client, and we said, "What if we change this existing building to your cool headquarter?" And um, It didn't take a lot of convincing because we demonstrated that it will look beautiful, it will look cool, and there is a cool sustainability story to it. Its embodied carbon of this building will be so low that uh, you can never achieve on the other plot, and it will be cheaper. So it was a no-brainer. And that's the situation that we should kind of aim for. That always try to come up with a win-win proposal. That um, being circular, being more sustainable, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll end up spending more money. So, I think the, the mindset is shifting, thankfully, here as well. We've asked Maria Vukia from Ramble to give us a good example of a project where performing a life cycle assessment (LCA) impacted the planned solution and resulted in a design with a significantly lower carbon footprint. So, a few months ago, I was、uh, part of a project team working with a very ambitious client on a pilot study to define a net zero carbon pathway for refurbishing existing office buildings. Europe is faced with an aging existing building stock, and the sustainable use and refurbishment of existing buildings, if and, and where that is possible, will play a key role in reducing embodied carbon emissions and waste. Just by making this key decision to refurbish the existing office building rather than demolish and rebuild, embodied carbon was reduced by approximately 30% compared to a new-built office, which is、uh, really a brilliant start to any project. As part of this project, we also looked at a typical floor fit-out, and we undertook life cycle assessment studies to quantify embodied carbon emissions associated with a floor fit-out. And this enables us initially to understand where the carbon hotspots are. We then started to develop a list of alternative materials and products. We contacted manufacturers to collect further information and data on embodied carbon, recycled content, locations of manufacturing sites to assess transportation emissions, maintenance requirements, and also whether manufacturers offer any take-back schemes. And this is quite. Important because it ensures that products can be returned to the manufacturers at the end of life, and eventually be reintroduced to the manufacturing cycle, fast minimizing waste. Overall, by combining all of that information into a life cycle assessment study, we calculated that a reduction of up to 50% in the embodied carbon emissions associated with internal fit-out was possible, 
which is a brilliant outcome to this scheme. We asked James Drinkwater to suggest some of the low-hanging fruits. Some of the low-hanging fruits, again, really over-specifying in terms of materials. That creates an awful lot of waste. And actually, if we really look at careful specification, we can already reduce embodied carbon a lot. And I want to be a bit thought-provoking here. We're not always asking, do we need it? Do we need it in that form? You know, we have, frankly, a way of doing the built environment that is bound to exceed our carbon targets. You know, we we started with the response to the need for shelter on mass. We've gone a, a long way, actually. And we need to start to really say, well, of course, the most carbon efficient thing to do is is not build. So how, whenever we build, <laughs> do we start to be really careful about how we're doing things? And, and we've got to provoke ourselves a bit as an industry here. And then again, won't work for every project. This is most suitable for kind of mid-rise, up to six, maybe eight stories. But the switch to timber as a naturally low carbon building material is something that we're starting to see increasing numbers of practices looking at. You know, it's great. We've switched our straws from fossil based plastic straws to bio based straws. But we haven't done the same often with those great big steel beams we put in our our buildings. So the switch to bio based materials is, again, something that we're seeing more and more practices taking on. We're almost at the end of this first episode of our podcast series, Building Sustainable Change, on what you need to know about sustainability and the built environment. Stay here for a few more minutes, because we'll finish with a look in the crystal ball and hear back from Stephen Richardson, how he sees us going into the future. In future episodes of this podcast from Ramble about sustainability in the built environment, we're going to look more into the so-called circular economy, and find out whether a building can make us healthier and happier. So make sure that you follow this podcast wherever you normally listen. As you've heard in this episode, a lot is going on at the moment in the goal of reducing carbon emission in the building industry. There are constantly developed new materials, technologies, design improvements, ways of working, and government incentives. But is it enough? Before we wrap it up, I'd like to hear from Stephen Richardson if he's optimistic going into the future. I think I sway between optimism and pessimism. And I think all of us, I'm sure that applies to many people who work in this space. It's a real challenge to keep hope. But at the end of the day, I, I actually think hope is our best motivator. Hope, much more than fear, keeps people going. And so I think we have to hold on to hope. So that's what I tell myself in, on those days where it feels hard and, and, and the pessimism starts to take over. I try and look for reasons to be hopeful again. I have three small children and uh, they will be the ones that will, you know, that will feel the impacts of, of the decisions that we're making now, the work that we're doing now. And for their sake, I have to be hopeful, even though it's not always easy. But yes, hope is the thing that carries me through. You've been listening to Building Sustainable Change, a ramble podcast about sustainability in the built environment and ideas that help solve global problems. The episode was produced and sound designed by Pala Bow of radioguru.co.uk for Ramble. Original music produced by Nikolai Kielet. 
Head to rumble.com for more information about Rumble as the partner for sustainable change. I'm Emma Clark. Thanks for listening.